Good morning, Harvest Connection Church. So last week, Curtis spoke on the importance now more than ever for Christians to stand on level ground. And this is exactly what happens in Luke chapter 6. When Jesus is standing on level ground and begins to speak, it's known as Sermon on the Plains. And we've learned about our enemies from last week's message, but today we're going to learn about the danger in judgment. So as soon as Pastor Curtis said that he was going to have a series called Sermon on the Plains, it instantly had an appeal with me. You know, this is my home. The Plains are my home. Now I went to school at Texas A&M for close to five years, but other than that, I've spent most of my life here in West Texas. And it was good for me to get away during that time because it grew me up a lot. We're going to talk about that more later here in the message, but I didn't realize how quickly that I would come to Amarillo, you know, after finishing school at Texas A&M. And it felt so natural coming back, which was crazy because Lindsay and I had intended to stay in that area for a while. And I know that God was working in our life and this is right where we're supposed to be. And let's preface with this, me going to Texas A&M, that might well up a little bit of judgment in you this morning. And that's okay, because this message is for you. <laughs> and uh, I imagine by the end of it, you're probably going to, you'll be rebuked and you'll realize just how good of a school Texas A&M is. No, I'm just kidding. But that is where Pastor Curtis is right now. Him and his family are in College Station. They're taking Wade to school. And it goes well with this message today because I talk about it quite a bit. So let's start out in Scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 31 says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. And you skip down to 37. It says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And judgment has it's been completely taken out of context in our day and time. And I, I want to help make sense of this. And I hope that I don't muddy the waters for you. And I feel like I had something that was very important laid on me during this time. It actually completely changed my mindset, but it took me a little bit to decipher. So I'm going to do my best. And I think I want to jump back further in Luke 6. And it says that Jesus took his stand on that level spot. And with a great crowd of his disciples and a vast throng of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to listen to him and be cured of their diseases, even those who were disturbed and troubled with unclean spirits, and they were being healed also. These people were thirsty. They were hungry. They were in need of the truth. They came with all kinds of ailments, and this is who he was speaking to. And it sounds much like our world today. The world is full of hurting people. And the need to free ourselves from this incredible pain we've experienced in life, in fact, the statistics prove it, our desperate cry for help. So according to Michael's House Drug and Alcohol Treatment Centers, the United States is currently experiencing the highest levels of drug addiction than any in its time in history. A recent study revealed an estimated 22.6 million Americans over the age of 12 that were current or former illicit drug users within the last month of when the survey was given. That's 8.9% of the population over the age of 12. Over 6 million children in America live with at least one parent who has a drug addiction. Another common way to cope with pain we feel is pornography. According to Covenant Eyes, 68% of young adult men 
and 18% of women use porn at least once every week, and then 64% of college men and 18% of college women spend time online every week for internet sex. Most people have not acquired the tools necessary to resolve the personal pain in their life. And as a result, this hurt grows into bitterness, that grows into sorrow, depression, and then eventually physical health. Our future is trapped and it's controlled by a past that continues to send us in this unending cycle of more hurt. So my goal in sharing these statistics this morning is to, to paint a picture of the serious pain people are in. And I'm believing that the Holy Spirit will lead you to freedom over the next few weeks as we put into practice the truths that we're going to, that we'll discover. So we're going to talk about one of the root issues which causes pain in our life, and that's judgment. It's an obstacle to the truth. Matthew 7, verse 1 through 2 says, Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This verse has been interpreted to mean, if I judge other people, God is going to judge me. But that's not what it says. It says that if we judge people, people will judge us. We always get back more than we give. Do not judge, jump into 37 again, Luke chapter 6, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So traditionally in this scripture, in verse 38, it's applied to financial giving. However, Jesus was not talking about finances in this verse. He was talking about what we give to others emotionally. Earlier in verse 36, he said, Be merciful, sympathetic, tender, responsive, and compassionate, even as your Father is all these. These are what you give emotionally. Verse 38 does not go on to say that God will heap all these things on you. It says that people will heap all these things back on you. What I give to others relationally and emotionally is what they give back to me. So essentially, you reap what you sow. And this reminds me of my relationship with my sister. When we were growing up, our relationship was not the best. You know, people would say that we were going to be really good friends when we grew up. And I would look at my sister and I'd be like, there's no way that I'm going to be good friends with with her, you know, when I grow up. And I think a lot of that was probably the jealousy that was within me because she was so cute and she pretty much got whatever she wanted. At least that's the way, that's the way it was in my eyes. And I felt like it was my personal job to bring her down, you know, to this earth. And I felt like I did a pretty good job at that. One story in particular, it was just us kids at home. So it was my older brother, Mitch. Uh, myself and then my younger sister Mackenzie. Mackenzie was reading a, a book in her room, just minding her own business. And me and Mitch were trying to figure out what we were going to do. So we decided that we would make a concoction of everything in our fridge. You know, we got ketchup, mustard, pickle relish, Worcestershire sauce, milk, whatever we could find. We stuck it in a cup. And the crazy thing was it actually ended up looking really delicious. And it didn't take us long to figure out what we were going to do with that. It looked like a milkshake. And we're like, we know exactly what to do with this milkshake. So we walk into Kenzie's room. We're like, 
trying to be nonchalant and cool, like, Hey, Kenzie, we made you something. It's, it's really good. And she's, she's dumbfounded. She's like, thank you so much, guys. And we're like, yeah, no problem. Just continue reading your book. And, um, if you want to take a sip, just, just take a sip when you're ready. We'll be out in the living room. She's like, okay, thank y'all. So we walked out and a few minutes later, she stormed into the living room and she was mad. She was in a rage. She's like, I hate you so much. And we just busted out laughing. I, I did feel bad about that afterwards, but it was, it was pretty funny. And this is just one of the stories of, you know, how I was mean to my sister. And I asked her in her adulthood, I said, you know, did you have a good childhood? And the answer was, yes, she did have a good childhood. But I was concerned about it that day for the way that, you know, I had treated her particularly. Now, I never really felt satisfied with that relationship, you know, up until the age of 11. The judgment and the meanness that I dished out to her, she would dish it back to me. And I'm so grateful that we're friends today, just like those people said that we would be. But this all goes back to the principle of the harvest. And what kind of seeds are you sowing? You know, at the time I was sowing seeds of criticalness and envy. And now I try to sow seeds of kindness and mercy. So what is growing in your life's garden? Is it criticalness and envy or is it kindness and mercy? And we we wrongly assume that we had nothing to do with how others treat us when the truth is they usually gave back to us a harvest of how we treated them. We're social, emotional, and relationship-oriented people. And this is true no matter how much we try to deny it. We thrive on meaningful relationships. And our our judgments influence those relationships more than any other factor. But few people even know what it means to judge. So what does it mean to judge? Identifying what someone did, this is not a judgment. This is merely an observation. It is when we assume that we know why a person did what they did, we condemn them, we hold resentment, and pronounce them guilty. Then we've entered into that judgment. Only God has the right to judge. He knows the heart of man. And simply giving up the right to judge would break the cycle of pain and torment while salvaging many of those valuable relationships. So how do we break free from the pain? And that brings me to my first application point. Judgment judgment keeps us on unlevel ground. So it seems impossible for the majority of our pain to be a product of judgment rather than events. There's so many substantial things that can happen to us in this life. Tragedy, loss of relationship, bad parents, childhood drama. These are huge events that can happen to someone. But if the events of our lives were the source of torment, then we'd have no influence over our future. I want to say that one more time. If the events of our lives were the source of torment, then we would have no influence over our future. And that's why Jesus began his sermon with those words. He said, blessed are you poor and lowly afflicted for the kingdom of God is yours. And he's saying that you're able to be happy with life joy and satisfaction in God's favor apart from your outward condition. And when you're able to live life this way, you're not looking to place judgment on others. You're not looking to place judgment on God for how things have gone in your life. You don't look to the outward conditions to find your true life joy. You're basically saying that these outward conditions will not take my joy. 
My joy comes from knowing that I'm in God's favor and my, and thank God for my salvation, no matter what's going on around me. And that produces a humble servant that keeps their priorities in check and will meet the goals that God has set out before them. And a person that is in this situation that's poor, lowly, and afflicted is most likely a humble person. And they're hungry and they're thirsty for truth, life, and joy. And that's why they are blessed. I spoke at Texas A&M in the beginning of the message in a jokingly manner. But during that time, those were the darkest moments of my life. And that was all self-inflicted. There's no doubt that I was searching for happiness, but I was just searching I was searching for happiness in all the wrong places. And it's so crazy because I had nothing figured out, but that was probably one of the times that I was most judgmental. And there are two different sets of people in that crowd that day. You know, there were the, the Pharisees and the scribes, and then there was those that were just lowly and afflicted, but they were both hungry and both thirsty for the truth. The lowly person that casts no judgment is like a soil that is more easily tilled. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were hungry and thirsty, but they couldn't see that because of the judgment and their pride. And after I saw the power of God again in my college days, I was a lot less judgmental. I'd seen the dark and pointless parts of my life that I'd searched for those, searched for happiness in the wrong areas, and I was humble. My heart was soft and it was workable. The soil that I possessed was workable. I was more empathetic to what people were going through. You know, everything that I had done was self-inflicted. But what about those who had no control over what happened to them? What right would I have to judge them? And I'm not saying that you have to hit a low spot in order for you to be humble. A part of that scripture says, Blessed are you who hunger and seek with eager desire now, for you shall be filled and completely satisfied. These are the wise. I hit a low point and was humbled and then received wisdom, but this isn't always the case. If you truly seek God's wisdom, it will be given to you. This brings me to my second application point. My response is my responsibility. Jesus didn't focus much attention on the offender. Instead, he went to great lengths to help us understand how we can protect ourselves when offenses come. Luke 17.3 says, Pay attention to yourselves, and if your brother sins, rebuke him. And we may ask, you know, why, why should I pay attention to myself? I'm the victim. My offender should be the one who pays attention. And this is the very response that Jesus warned against. People generally don't do things because of who you are. They do them because of who they are. In our haste to judge, we assume that they do what they do because of us. When offenses come, our response is key. You are in control in this situation. You can't control what's going on around you, but you can control you. You have influence over your future. And it says in Scripture that if you live like this, you are to be envied. And this should, in turn, cause a change in others. People will want what you have. And that's one way that we can shine our light on others. You will be a light in this world. You know, around the same time that I saw the power of God again was probably six months after Lindsay and I were married. And this broke me of that victim mentality very quickly. Lindsay would probably say that it wasn't quick enough, you know. And the truth is, it wasn't quick enough. I should have been more spiritually mature before we even entered into marriage. 
And I'm so blessed to have the marriage that we have today. In the beginning of the marriage, it just, it just, it didn't seem like anything was my fault. I'd become a victim. And when you're a victim, the amount that you judge, that increases. And for me, it was a good way not to accept the responsibility of my actions. I'd become a dishonest man. And I wouldn't even own up to the fact that I'd lied if I could get away with it. And I should have put her on a pedestal like she deserved. The two had become one flesh. And that means when I was dishonest with her, I was dishonest with myself. And think about that for a little bit. That's what broke that victim mentality. I realized that I wasn't being honest with myself. We had become one flesh. And this went hand in hand with seeing the power of God again. And after that day, and I remember that day very well, I began to take ownership of my responsibilities. My response is my responsibility. And you can't always control what's going going on around you, the outward conditions, but you can have control over you. And I pray that our marriage would be a lighthouse to those around us. And I never would imagine that, you know, in the beginning of our marriage. And lastly, my third point is a rebuke, not judgment, can bring healing. Jesus told us what we should do when we're offended. He explained that we shouldn't discuss it with anyone. We should not get others involved. Instead, we should just rebuke the offender and not judge him. And the word rebuke, it comes from two, two Greek words. One means upon, and the other means to, vi- to fix a value or to honor. So rebuke could mean nothing more than taking or making a person aware of the value of their actions. I know why you did this is not a rebuke. That's a judgment. All we can say in a rebuke is, this is what you did. This is the effect that it had on me or the value that it had on me. Nothing more, nothing less. We can't attach significance. We, we cannot use that action to judge what kind of person they are. And most people are surprised when they learn, you know, how their actions actually affected you. In most cases, when someone learns how their behavior affected us, they reply with, well, I, you know, I, I didn't know. So a respectful relationship should display how to properly rebuke someone. You know the values that, the, that you have. And if a person knows you just the least bit, they will have an idea of the values that you have. And this doesn't mean that it can't be misinterpreted from time to time. We don't always know what, you know, something that we say or do, how it's going to affect someone because we have different norms of communication. What something means to me could be interpreted completely different to someone else. For example, Lindsay and I, we've been able to do marriage counseling with two, two couples and, uh, which I've been blessed to marry. And what might be a norm for that man? might be completely different for the woman. And these are things that have to be discussed and hopefully hashed out before they enter into marriage in a calm, non-confrontational environment. And this can range from communicating about sex, finances, in-laws, time together. And it's so much better to have a financial plan established before you get couple, you know, a couple months into the marriage and then you realize that what you thought would be okay to spend on a hobby was way more than what she thought. And these are difference in communication norms. So if you hash these things out in a calm environment before they get out of control, the better that marriage will start out. And the reason the reason being is because you're able to work from a rebuke standpoint. You're able to see the value of your actions 
before you even make them. And what might not seem like a huge deal to you could be very detrimental to your future spouse. And as you enter into marriage, that communication doesn't stop. That's where a lot of respect is developed in a relationship. It doesn't have to be marriage. You realize the value of your actions could be either beneficial or detrimental to that relationship. And then you make adjustments accordingly out of respect for that person. And that takes a humble person to notice those things. And it takes a humble person to be rebuked. In a scriptural confrontation, everyone has a chance to grow. Everyone has a chance to experience healing. And the cycle of pain can end for everyone. So I want to end with this. I watched a movie. A movie is called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And the movie is about Mr. Rogers. And I never really watched that growing up. But I was so taken back by the kind of man that he was. He placed so much significance on each person. I read an article about him just the other day, and it completely exemplifies who he was. And this is from that article. One of his in-house writers told what had happened when he had, he enlisted her to write a manual intended to teach doctors how to talk to children. She worked hard on it, using all her education and experience in the field of child development. But when she handed him her opening, he crossed it out, everything that she had written, and replaced it with six words. You were a child once too. And that's it. That was his message to doctors, his message to politicians, CEOs, celebrities, educators, writers, students, everyone. It was, it was also the basis of his strange superpowers. He wanted us to remember what it was like to be a child so that he could talk to us. He wanted to talk to us so that we could remember what it was like to be a child. And he could talk to anyone, believing that if you remembered what it was like to be a child, you would remember that you were a child of God. Jesus spoke to us in the same way. Allow the little children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Each one of us was a child once too. And when we have that mindset, our judgment is a lot less. We must all come to that common ground to stop the pain in our lives. Judgment is nothing more than an obstacle to the truth. And that common ground is Jesus. The Word of God makes sense. Scripture affirms Scripture. The Word of God produces life. It produces wisdom. And that's God's design. And I love that design. We must all come to the level ground of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the way that you've designed things, Father. Lord, I pray that we would just put our priorities and direct them towards you, Father. Lord, that we would get straight to the truth in this hurting world. And Lord, that uh, we'd be able to humble ourselves, Lord, and that we wouldn't cast judgment on others and that we'd have the mindset that you want us to have, Father. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you've blessed us with. I pray that we just continue to do your will. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.